right, what's up, Nostalgia Trappers? Welcome to the program. David Parsons here. I hope you're ready for a very special episode of Nostalgia Trap. We're talking with Sean from the Antifada podcast. If you haven't checked out the Antifada podcast, I think Nostalgia Trap listeners especially will appreciate the way that they approach left-wing politics on that show. It's a really funny show, and it also has that sort of international vision that we're always whining here on Nostalgia Trap that no one does on the left. Uh, Antifada is doing it. So go check out their podcast. I've been wanting to talk with Sean for a while. Uh, we're both, uh, I guess, Gen Xers, I guess. All that means to me is we both remember the 90s. Uh, and, and we wanted to sort of go back in time in this episode and think about oil and how oil played a very significant part in the wider American left in the 90s and early 2000s. We both watched this film, Syriana. Not sure if you've seen that. Go ahead and pause this, watch the film it's in, in its entirety, and then come back and join us. Because we do discuss that movie in detail. Syriana came out in 2005, directed by Stephen Gagan. It's part of like that whole, like I don't know, set of films that were both like documentaries and narrative uh, fiction films that were sort of about like geopolitics and conspiracies. I guess Traffic, the Soderbergh film, would be another example uh, where they're going into like a lot of detail about geopolitics. I was really drawn to Syriana at the time, and watching it again this week was was a total mindfuck um, because it, it's still a really compelling film and one that, as we get into here, uh, captures a particular moment in which oil and oil politics seem to explain everything. So we get into like both the... Uh, the usefulness of that of that outlook and how things have changed since uh, Syriana came out many years ago. So this was a super fun conversation, and I appreciate Sean coming on the show and, and talking with me. I hope you enjoy it. Hey, have you subscribed to our Patreon, by the way? If you have not subscribed to the Nostalgia Trap Patreon, you are missing out on some of our best stuff, including our Howard Zinn trilogy with Justin Rogers Cooper. We're still getting really amazing comments on those set of episodes. Um, so go check this, ch- go check th- those out because I am still thinking about the Howard Zinn trilogy, honestly. We get into some really, um, I think, challenging and, and difficult uh, contradictions within uh, what we call being a leftist. So go check that out, patreon.com slash nostalgia trap, and enjoy this conversation about Syriana and oil politics with Sean from Antifada. All right, Sean. Well, this has been a long time coming. Uh, great to see you, man. How are you? Great to see you as well. I uh, I must say, and I think I might have told you this before, but I'll say it for the benefit of everybody. Uh, yours was probably like the first podcast I think I ever really got into many, many years back. You're one of the old heads. You've been at it for how many years now? I think I started in like 2013 or 14. Wow. Um, Very early adopter. Yeah. But I was doing, but that was before, I mean, I was just doing them, like putting them out every few months. Like I I really didn't have like a whole lot of episodes. Now we're like a regular show that's on all the time, but we were just, I was just sort of like experimenting with uh, podcast kits you could find on amazon.com. Um, and finding out, like, I don't know, it was a weird world when it first started out. But Very thanks, weird. Uh, yeah. Thanks hey. for saying that, by the way. That, that's really cool. I mean, that's <laughs> no, part, of, part of why I put the voice out there was to sort of, like, see if there were other people that, that were into this shit. Well, you're, um, a, uh, you're a history guy, which is right up my alley, too. I'm a failed uh, history graduate student. 
Nice. I'm a failed history PhD. So perfect. You got a little fine. farther in your failures than I did. I got out of before a master's, but I think honestly, I think we make some of the best. Yeah, no, I agree. The, um, there was a guy on my block growing up who was like uh, a, a history professor who who everyone talked about as like the guy that never made it. You know, he got his uh, PhD and then he sort of like dicked around and you know was he, he was sort of like the hippie professor. Everybody loved him, and I like aspired to be a part of that a part of that like to me like that was a that was a cool life the fact that he like didn't have a real job was cool yeah if you get sucked into like like through the phd and you get sucked into like the uh, glad handling and the real bureaucratic aspects of academia i'm not saying there aren't great academics out there great historians of course but it does do something different to you yeah and i think we we managed through failure to avoid that so thank god (laughs) (laughs) there's a price to pay for success is what you're saying yes that's Um, exactly right and i became a carpenter and you became what a professional (laughs) podcaster so yeah there you go um there's there are there are roots for everyone i I think like it's funny because like i was i i literally did become a podcaster in part because i was at the end of my phd and i was like i don't know what i'm doing and i don't really have an opportunity to like talk about history as much as i want so to nerd out about history it's all about nerding out like even even as a failure even as somebody who never made it to the end to that terminal degree i still need to keep my hands warm i still need to to stay involved in this stuff because i love it with a passion i know you do too it's just uh and it's also i feel like there's like a real lack out there in terms of good sort of like history historical materialist thinking out there so i'm happy to fill a little niche if we fill a little niche then that's great yeah let's niche it up um we were we were going to talk about this movie syriana i wonder if right just right at the outset would you consider syriana to be sort of like a spiritual sequel to paul thomas anderson's there will be blood Ooh, interesting. Oh, I hadn't thought about that before. Or is There Will Be Blood a prequel to Syriana? <laughs> it, it takes place in the same cinematic universe, maybe. Right, there's like right. a, Instead of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, there's like the oil fuckery cinematic universe. Uh, I didn't think about it in those terms. So that's a really interesting way to, to think about it because we're going to talk about Syriana, but we're also, I think, going to try to put it in its historical context where it got made. Um, what it's about? Why in 2003 was it? You know, this 2005. This 2005. Wow, an even yeah. more important date for a um, what would you say a morally complex and somewhat um, circumscribed, circumventing, circumscribed uh, analysis of all of the the corruption, all the violence, and all the uh, the warfare uh, that comes from uh, the United States's implication. In, uh, in, in oil and, and foreign regimes. I mean, 2005 is a great time for that. You also want to talk about uh, No Blood for Oil, right? That's right, the other context, right. because what, what does this movie mean about what politics were like at that moment? Yeah, the, 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 the reason why I thought about No Blood for Oil is because when I was coming up uh, as a young person getting into politics uh, and on the left scene, and by on left scene, I just mean like reading political shit online, um oil was like the oil was a big deal and like this was i guess during the bush era you know people were talking about oil i know i'm not like the the conversation goes back further than that and probably as a popular conversation started in the 1970s around the oil shocks and wars in the middle east and the, uh, the american public becoming increasingly aware of their lifestyles connected directly to this tenuous relationship to different nations in the middle east and that fueling a lot of terrorism and 
uh, bad, nasty shit, including the only thing Americans care about, which is gas prices. Yes. Um, yeah. So there was all that, but there was also like, I don't know, do you remember like people talking about like peak oil and all yes. that sort of thing too? Yeah, yeah, I definitely do. That was a that was it was interesting because that that even goes back to the '90s. Like, I have a kind of like er theory about about, about <laughs> '90s into the 2000s that maybe we can explore, right? But there's drop, like drop the er theory. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's uh, there, there's all sorts of like so like oil is this uh, petroleum is this lubricant for the world economy. It doesn't in and of itself. You know, I would argue as a Marxist, it doesn't in and of itself, like at least doesn't sitting there by itself or even being burned, create anything of value. But when inserted as this essential part of our industrial society, it's literally it lubricates every single transaction just about it lubricates uh, much of production and certainly a lot of consumer life. And so in the 70s, when the oil shocks happened, they were a psychological shock. They were a collective psychological shock. And I think a lot of the ways that Americans politically and culturally um, sort of in, in a collective way try to work out their uh, anxieties about uh, the economic present and the economic future is through oil. It's sort of this marker that exists, I think, for Americans. The gas prices that you mentioned are really important because we have a massive inflation going on right now because of this uh, logistics, this supply chain crunch and because of COVID-19 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, even if prices of some things go up, like houses, for example, which are important that everybody uses, even if they go up a factor or two more than gasoline right, in people's lives, gasoline at the pump it still becomes this sort of political very important political touchstone for americans so i think a lot of the way we understand our economy uh understand the world economy in general comes from these sort of this attachment we have to this particular uh product yeah and there was a lot of like uh, i don't know there's a lot of like cringe cringe like liberal documentaries about oil and and about like like environmentalism and that sort of thing that came out around this time too. Yeah. It, I think it came, it came with the, like the force of revelation for, for, for me, like I, I came to oil as sort of a, a magic elixir that helped me understand geopolitics. It was all of a sudden yeah. like, and I think there's a danger to that sort of thing where it's sort of like, well, oil is the only, the only sort of, uh, uh, thing that explains what's going on. Yeah. And there was definitely, uh, I, I think there was a lot of that happening. I don't, and you know what? What's funny is I expected Syriana to fall into that genre, mm. but I was sort of pleasantly surprised watching it last night um, at how nuanced a take they had on some of this stuff. It wasn't yeah. just a like it's all about oil, man, like yeah. sort of conversation. It seemed like it was, um, I don't know, a genuine effort to try and reflect how complex all this is and i know i know the yeah. so the film got criticized for being like overly complex and like impossible to understand i mean how how through american cinema or just cinema popular cinema in general uh can you be didactic and and still make things entertaining because i found it to be a very entertaining movie i liked all the intrigue i liked um the sort of moral quandaries quandaries that people were put in and i certainly liked like thinking about this in terms of um of our world today and the world 15 years ago but you know like if you're gonna make uh if you're gonna truly understand uh the the politics and political economy of oil you're not gonna be able to do it in a two-hour movie Right. So what does this movie do for us? What it does is I think it um, it opens up, as you said, in a very sort of complex way, 
all the ways in which the the things that America certainly says about itself in terms of um, you know our um, our fairness in terms of our uh, political system and democracy, it shows how are the implications uh, or let me just say it, it shows how how our um, collectively as a state our power in the world uh, uh, blows back and corrupts the American process itself right. which I think is super important because that's implicit in the call no blood for oil right it's that and remember all the stuff about Halliburton and whatever I think it was it was mm, a that's very right. yeah. very vulgar materialism but at least there's a materialism there right yeah, that's right. There was a. Um, I was reading a lot of stuff that reminds me. I, I mean, it really was. I mean, the 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 sort of thing haunting all this whole conversation in some ways is nine eleven because it, yeah. it was the thing that I think launched a lot of people, including me, because I was like a, a young dude who was just out of college and and and, and had sort of not really thought too much about these issues. Are we the sudden, same age? Are, are you I was. Age? I was born in 1978. I'm 43. Okay. I'm 43. Yeah. So you're you're like a year and a half older than me. So okay, we're about cool. the same age. Yeah. So, so I feel like I'm ancient when I talk about things like this, like the oh like totally a, like 9/11 and whatever. So let's let's get Gen X about it. Sorry. Yeah. Go yeah. On. No. 100. <laughs> percent Um. And, and and yeah. When I think about that that moment, um, around around 9/11 and the years after. It was. It was definitely like, uh, yeah. If you're the, around, if we're around around the same age, then it, it was a kind of searching age already. You know what I mean? You're sort of already like kind of thinking about like what does everything mean and all that sort of shit. So 9/11 came at a very very particular moment, and I was ready to read more and learn more. This is when like I think I got Howard Zinn book and like mm-hmm. started figuring out things about um, American history and things like that. And oil was very very present in all of that material. This was when like um, Naomi Klein was very present yes, on the left yeah. scene, if you recall. I mean, she I still do. is, but maybe not as big as she once now, was. No, no logo made her like the the younger, like the Gen X sort of like representation of progressive politics. This yeah. like kind of ad right. bustersy sort of like anti consumerist. Where kind did of, that uh, go? Oh, uh, that that uh, that I think that went the way uh, I think that went with uh, economic crisis. Now I think the idea of affluenza maybe doesn't have the same hit it had in the nineteen nineties. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's it's true. Uh, we did reality bites on this show recently, and it was just like holy shit! Like these kids, like their complaints are so insane compared to how you would think about making a movie about young post college people today today um yeah. yeah it's 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 a totally different economic reality i guess um but yeah the 9-11 thing made me think about oil and and, I, and it was movies like syriana that were i mean traffic was another one i feel like syriana is made by the same people it's like i think it is like, yeah uh, yeah i forgot the guy's name god i should yeah steven <laughs> uh, so okay so syriana I, I got the wikipedia dude syriana yeah. um is written and directed by steven gagan uh, and it has like a lot of the same cast members as Traffic, um, but like it's got the it's got the Soderbergh crew, you know. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. It George feels very Clooney. Soderbergh. Totally, yeah. Um, and it's it's got it's funny because one of the things that that stuck out to me in reading material around Syriana is that this this term hyperlink cinema. Um, this idea that there, like there were films like this that sort of threw a lot of like conspiratorial ideas at mm. you at once and sort of made you want to go to the internet and almost like 
in a weird way duplicated an internet search. I feel Ooh. like Syriana, when I'm watching it now, it didn't seem confusing to me at all. It felt actually like 15 years have gone by and it feels like the culture caught up to Syriana in some way. Yeah, like yeah. attention deficit disorder cinema. <laughs> yeah, and also I think like um, we're more comfortable maybe now than we were 15 years ago with uh, sort of uh, known unknowns. You know, I think that yeah. like the, the real complexities of our problems, certainly it's much more clear how complex they are than it would have been in the 1990s. Like the 1990s, when both you and me were teenagers, it seemed like the, the main political question is how long is it going to take for freedom and a democracy, <laughs> American style to spread across the globe? And yeah. then when you have 9-11, you have for about five minutes, uh, the why do they hate us question, uh, which is, you know got uh, shut down very quickly, like the day after or so, right? And it was a rally around the flag moment. And <clears throat> conspiracism itself um, starts to take up a lot of space that maybe today we would see organized towards left projects. Conspiracism ends up becoming this both online and also yeah. real-world phenomenon. Because if you're... Uh, if you're at an anti-war rally, which I was, you know, went to many of them around the time, including the giant one in New York, which was like a half million people, just an insane amount of people uh, in New York, you saw the no blood for oil signs everywhere, but you also saw the, the Bush did 9-11, investigate 9-11 stuff. It was kind of part and parcel of the same thing. A deeply paranoid time, right? Yeah. Syriana yeah. is a movie, it's a deeply paranoid movie, it seems. Go, similar to something that would, that would be created back in the 1970s. And I think the 70s and the not, and the and the, the 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 period right after 9/11 are both periods where a uh, our politics and foreign policy very tied up with oil uh, and b all of a sudden things start to become a lot more confusing than they had been yeah Ameri you know the the average American has to sort of try to grapple with things that they they wouldn't before so maybe Syrian is like the I don't know the the Watergate movie of the of the 2000s <laughs> totally no it feels that way and it's it's and I was in I was definitely um sort of captivated by a lot of that i don't know conspiracism of that era yeah. i mean i remember i mean i mean fuck man the 2012 prophecy <laughs> mm. oh mean, my god yeah i mean i wonder like what's the <laughs> what's the like um venn diagram overlap of like the people who were into 2012 and like maga people and like you know like the new age yoga burning man yeah. community because it feels like i was totally like um, sort of like tangentially connected to a lot of that stuff online. I was very interested in it, reading about it. I thought a lot of it was like front of uh, what I considered like anarcho left culture to me. Yeah. Um, but it's weird to look at it because I don't, I, do you see it the same way now? It doesn't seem the same to me. <clears throat> um, I feel like conspiracism in general, and I believe that there are true conspiracies, by the way. I'm not like an anti-conspiracy <clears throat> theorist guy. Of course not. Um, no, I love that stuff. Yeah, I love it too. I'm, I'm deeply fascinated by I it. I want to believe. I'm in that, <laughs> I'm, I'm in that category. <laughs> I am too. I find, that, I find that shit really, really fascinating. Um, I also find at the end of the day that it's, it's woefully incomplete, just mm -hmm. like uh, Syriana is a really good take on the complexities of American foreign policy and intelligence and economics uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a period of, uh, of uh, let's say, imperial decline, let's say. Mm -hmm. As yeah. much as I think that that's uh, powerful, 
Um, no, I'm all, I'm, I'm also a Marxist and have become one since not that I like nine 11 did not make me a Marxist. Uh, in fact, what made me a Marxist was the financial crash, which happens seven years, six, seven years after that, where kind of the, the, um, the chickens come home to roost on a lot of what we were doing uh, at home and in the world. So, you know, That'd it, be it a became- cool t-shirt, man. Like on the front, 9-11 <clears throat> didn't make me a Marxist. And then on the back, it says the 2008 financial crisis did. <laughs> I'll make, I'll, maybe I'll make those up or something like that. Make a little side sales on merch. But um, no, like because the, the spectacular act of violence that seems to come out of nowhere on September 11th, uh, 2001, I think was very amenable to um, a certain conspiracism. And we see that still to this day. There's still people who hold that position. But I think what it ends up doing at that, at that early date, before 2007, 2008, is it ends up really, I think, um, distracting a lot of people from, say, the anti-war movement or constructing some sort of um, analysis and critique that can incorporate the spectacular a- act of terrorism and violence into the oil politics, which is, you know, it's a good place to go. And a lot of people got there back then, right? But then to step back once more and start to understand how uh, the global economy works and ultimately how capitalism works and how empire works as well. You know, it makes me think of this uh, very memorable evening I went to uh, just, I think it was just like a week after September 11th. I have a picture of it somewhere. Maybe I'll post it with this episode where I went to a, it was like a left gathering about 9-11. And it was in downtown L.A. at like some old church. And Michael Moore was going to be speaking there. I don't think Naomi Klein was there. Uh, But during Michael Moore's speech, people started saying, Bush did this. Bush did 9-11. They started saying all that. And Michael Moore was like, no, 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 no. Like, let's not get into that. Like, he was very – because he's like kind of an old lefty, you know. And he like was – he was just kind of like, let's not do that because we need to figure out how we're going to position ourselves. Like, this is a really dangerous moment. And, you know, things were nuts. Like, the tone of things were so nuts at the time. I don't blame anyone for screaming no, whatever. Oh, my God. People but, people yeah. who aren't of a certain age, um, it's it's hard to, to uh, I don't know, to gainsay how completely insane the <laughs> politics from 2001 to really 2008. I'm not saying that Obama yeah. solved everything. Right. But, like, under the Bush administration... Uh, things were really, really hairy. But at the same time, the only real opposition that there was at that point, there weren't a lot of like um, independent socialists out there. Maybe they existed, but they weren't very loud. Uh, there, there, there was only really the uh, the Democratic Party at that point and, and John uh, Kerry. That's right. And yeah. th- this, this is why, you know, ultimately, if you look back on the anti-war movement, and do you think that uh, this film, that the filmmaker would have considered them this part of like a, an anti-war Oeuvre or I'm, I'm glad you asked that because I was thinking of the same thing. I was sort of like, well, what what is this? What is Syriana really about? Like, why'd they make this movie? What, what were they trying to do? Um, you know, uh, aside from the whole death of the author shit, like yeah. what 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 is Syriana about? I mean, it seems like it's a film that we should be deeply troubled. I mean, we're supposed to be deeply troubled by the things we see, right? right. Like it's a disturbing ass vision. Um, it's not what I like about it is it's not a like single conspiracy film like Mm -mm. there's not like one evil person it's actually like kind of a dialectical movie in the sense that it's like showing you like all these moving parts and all these helpless people caught up at different levels of involvement and not really knowing anything I mean the George Clooney character is really fucking tragic to me and that's weird for me to say because he's like 
isn't he, he's basically like a cia he's assassin a C- <laughs> no the, but the yeah the reason why you say that i thought about this too the reason why you say that is because he's probably the most sympathetic character right because matt damon for the through the plot of the movie matt damon's son dies at a party he gets electrocuted in a pool uh the a pool owned by a prince of like what's supposed to be saudi arabia they never say right? saudi arabia they never say no you couldn't say that in 2005 you might not be able to say it now and amazing honestly. yeah that's scary, um, scary shit but wow. but but then matt damon uh ends up being implicated in this himself because he ends up getting bought off uh he ends up becoming an economic advisor and getting a huge contract from the same guy whose pool electrocuted his son to death and ends up destroying his marriage um you know part his character arc is is him getting like pulled into this corruption you know what i mean uh through this tragedy that happens the george clooney character is as you say like portrayed as a very uh kind of it's like a hangdog tired exhausted cynical but still believing uh cia uh agent who has a lot of experience in the middle east including in um beirut where part of this movie is shown and you get the sense of course that he's seen some horrific times in his day is yeah terrific times in his day and that um he's kind of like towards the end of his career but the reason i think what what's interesting is that the film wants us to uh to feel bad for him wants us to in some way like kind of um i don't know see ourselves in him he's like this uh this crusader for justice in the cia and i think that's actually one of the limitations of the movie right is because yeah. you have the, the the very liberal limitations of the movie like i'm not trying to judge it as something it isn't it's it's, it's got a very liberal mindset and so the cia agent is a guy who's trying to do right and ends up getting, you know, getting screwed over for it by yeah. powerful figures. There's no question, really. There is a question. It's kind of like in the background, but like, why is he doing these things? Like, what's the CIA really doing in there? Is it actually good stuff? You know, is he just a, a guy who's trying hard to do good stuff or is actually our entire, you know, intelligence apparatus over there uh, built on propping up dictators and, uh, you know, overlooking human rights violations. And most importantly, again, making sure that the oil still flows. That's like implied in the movie, but the CIA agent being like an otherwise like good warrior for the U S governments is like, show some of the limitations. Yeah, no, I agree. You got to have that for the story. It feels like, uh, like some sort of bridge. I can't, I can't decide if like, if if I would want it to be, you know, this guy is so alien to me <laughs> that I just hate his guts. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the film is 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 sort of couched in um, in in Americanness still in in yes. a weird way, right? Yeah. It's like bringing us this story, and, and we're supposed to be sort of troubled by it. And I always, I don't know. I, I there's a moment um, I think that happens to people on the left. That it, that happens again and again and again, and and I and I saw it at these like at, at, you know you see it at anti-war rallies and demonstrations and meetings and stuff. It's like, well, you know, what are we supposed to do about any of this shit? You know, and I, I think that the conspiracy people in part just like the fantasy and like the story and like that. Yeah. It's just like it's it's there's no there's no action that comes from it. You there know? can't be. They're they're like globalist lizard elites or whatever. Right. You know, like what it's do you a do very. About that? very pacifying type uh, ideology to believe in because there's no active subject, no agent of history that can do anything except maybe you appeal to like, like the QAnon conspiracy. You're assuming that there's like good guys in the back who are going to sort this whole thing out for you in the end. You're going to look at like collect all the dots together, but eventually like the white hats in the, in the, deep state or whatever are going to overthrow the Democrats and the, and the lizards and stuff. And you know, like, 
there really wasn't much to do in the 2000s after the Iraq War, right. which is I was I was going to say before. There's like we had a we had an anti-war movement, which again we were both part of, or at least you know uh, participated in. Never was it a matter of, as we've seen in many places in the past, a matter of like disrupting goods. A matter of taking over government buildings, a matter of like going down to the ports and stopping things, going to the recruiting uh, stations and like blocking them up. I things mean, that yeah. we saw in the 1970s. Yeah. What it was was uh, the anti war movement was an appeal for politicians to listen to our voices and make a different decision. It always had that limitation bill within it. It never presumed that like direct action or a class movement, let's say, could be built in order to stop that. And I, that's that's very like that's it's a very like America twenty first century way to look at uh, like a huge situation like invasion of Afghanistan and Iraq. Yeah, I mean we had the the, the immediate forerunner to the anti war movement around the Bush years was the battle in Seattle, um, yes. which was so, such a important moment for a number of reasons. But I mean one of them was just recognizing that the state was organizing like new new levels of repression, new kinds of violence to, to meet out against the left. But the other one for me, at least was like a growing awareness of um, environmental activism and climate yeah. change. I mean, also all the WTO stuff and, and understanding that there was like global capitalism and all of this stuff was connected to the world. And it wasn't just like an American thing. All of that was important to me, but like the, the, the environmental element of it, you know, you talk about like direct action, What's really scary to me is like there was like what like the animal liberation front like all these different like mm, yeah. environmental like I don't know if you've seen like documentaries about that shit. It's the like, Green Scare, yeah, right. They, because they, a lot of the War on Terror uh, aspects they brought in with the Patreon Act were tried out in the '90s on the left. That's right, and they they may, they put special circumstances on um you know uh, on on certain crimes that were associated with like property crimes. So you're talking about like um you know if if you are, are an environmental activist or an animal rights activist and you um, destroy property, you know, you, you can be put in prison for life for those yeah. sorts of things. And I thought, I mean, to me, like that era, that like Obama era where that, that sort of, those sort of acts were coming out and like, I remember Bill Maher like screaming at like these like 9-11 like inside job people that were in his Ooh. audience. He was like, shut the fuck up. You don't get to fucking say that on my fucking show. Um, and he's like, you know, he's really grandstanding against it. But I felt there was a turn against like any sort of like conspiracy inside job stuff. Like Obama sort of in a lot of ways, like he was an anti-left sort of figure in that yes. way. Um, yeah. and he like there was a coalescence around like we're done with all this fucking wacky shit. And part of the wackiness was like animal rights environmentalism yeah. like that to me is really really scary and 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 so watching syriana is sort of like kicking back to an era where there was more of a like i don't know intense investigation publicly of what the fuck was going on yeah and and not you know the people don't talk about it now but um there was discussion on the left even the left of the democratic party uh, at the time when you know obama was elected and then soon to be inaugurated about whether or not to hold trials uh committee hearings about what and actually happened in 9-11 but more importantly to do stuff about the lead up to the war in iraq because we're talking about a world historic crime yeah i mean right. let's not put too fine a point on this the american people 
were led by their nose. And I remember the drumbeat to war, and it was intense. And you saw it. I like. I opened the paper one day, and I saw the the, the yellow cake uranium thing. I said, "These motherfuckers are going for." It. You knew I didn't it, know right? that it much at that time. Sickening feeling. Yeah. Just and and I knew enough about history at that point and to say, "God, they're gonna they're gonna do it, and they're gonna get away with it." There was no stopping that train as it left the station. But there are, of course, no consequences, and even less than consequences, because now that Trump came in and was an even worse or like even more disruptive president than uh, than George Bush. Bush is now the nice guy. He's back on the Ellen show and he's, you know, uh, oh, well, at least he wasn't Donald Trump. So there was no reckoning whatsoever yeah. uh, in our society. And that kind of hangs over us, I feel like. Oh, totally. I don't know if you saw uh, the card counter, the, the new Paul Schrader movie. Uh, but it's it's about Abu Ghraib, and it's like totally it's 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 interesting like a, like a counter to Syriana because like Syriana is like here's like a earnest attempt to try to understand the mechanics of oil politics and yeah. how all of it contributes to violence and poverty and all these horrific things. Um, whereas the card counter and these other movies that come out now seem like they're more like interested in just sort of like weighing the spiritual toll on the nation and sort of like how fucking guilty we all are. Um, because yeah, the, the, the no accountability for Iraq and not only no accountability, but then like people saluting, uh, with tears in their eyes over figures like Colin Powell, um, and others who were responsible for it is just so fucking dark, dude, like really, really dark. Really, really dark. I mean, there's, um, you know, the, one another good part of the movie was the uh, the migrant worker um, uh, vignettes. One hundred percent. Yeah, that That's, narrative. I, yeah. That was one of the things I remembered most about the movie. From I haven't seen it in fifteen years. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I think I saw it around when it came out too. But watching that, so the so for people who haven't seen it yet, you should probably watch it and then turn the episode back on. Uh, there's a migrant worker uh, from Pakistan, actually a father and son. And uh, as is the case nowadays with the Gulf states, they end up getting work in the Middle East. They end up working for Connex, right, the the oil company uh, that the, that's kind of at the center of this drama, this big merger of two giant American transnational oil companies. And anyways, they get laid off, and it shows the the younger son. He's in his twenties, presumably. The younger kid, like his progression from you know being unemployed and not having any options and being um, disrespected, losing his dignity, also being assaulted by security officers and then being brought into a madrasa and eventually groomed into into becoming a terrorist terrorism at the end i mean that is a pretty powerful story like like syriana does try and i think it does a good job in a certain extent to show the sort of economic backgrounds of of these different you know these characters right because it's getting into this earnest question of like how do terrorists get made when even though as we know from the um from the 9-11 hijackers and many other terrorists, it's actually not often unemployed and laid off uh, industrial workers who end up becoming terrorists. It's more likely uh, middle class uh, and like educated uh, people who end up turning to it because it's very much like a like a vanguardist it's almost like a pseudo-leninism some like the the, mm. the salafist ideology mm-hmm. yeah and it draws it draws people who maybe 40 years ago would have been say pan-arab nationalists they would have been followers of uh of nasser or, or sadat or something like that it takes this sort of like historical injustice of what the american empire and british empire has done over there and it turns it into this sort of uh militancy um, that's so a really I, interesting yeah. point, dude. Like um, the idea that that the the terrorism uh, coming from a middle class uh, 
because it's it, it is something that you see as a trope in in movies like Syrian and others that were sort of like well you know terrorism is a result of uh, impo- impoverishment and and people that have been sort of uh, um, left le- le- left behind and, and that violence is yeah. is a part of that but yeah I mean you see that in the United States as well like the people that stormed the Capitol uh, right. you know weren't weren't exactly like doing that because they were the deprived masses you right. know it seems like they were radicalized middle class uh, right. uh, suffering a, uh, an attack on their dignity sac- suffering an attack on their identity and on their social power because the there's economic parts of it too obviously but like or their freedom, I guess they would say. Right. But similar to how the 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 real story of Iraq and Afghanistan um, are not actually fully down to no blood for oil. Right. Just like that economic aspect is like crucial and you can't drop it. Neither is the uh, the international terrorism, the Al Qaeda stuff, all the way down to just economics either. You know, there's there's this um, there's this imperial apparatus, you know, when when so even at the time, even as like a buddy, like an anarchist at that time and a budding Marxist who was like invested in um, a sort of economic analysis of empire and stuff. I knew already at that point in time, and I'm convinced of it even more now that no blood for oil while it's a catchy and it's a, it was a popular phrase among many of the left. It doesn't really do justice to the actual complexity of what was happening because like, um, you know, as we know, so much of this is tied into Israel and tied into Saudi Arabia, tied into trying to uh, maintain a unipolar world, tied into importantly, and I know that you had tabs open for petrodollars, you were saying, <laughs> right. but importantly too, it's about um, the threat and use of mass organized political violence on the part of the United States in order to uphold our hegemony over the global capitalist system. There you go. It's about making examples of people, and it's about also um, showing that our, th- our threats actually mean something and trying to in a period when China is rising this entire time, as we know, right? And as there's this sort of like chaotic period after the glowing uh, Clinton years, um, it's, it's American hegemony, American dollar supremacy, America military uh, might mm-hmm. that is being exercised at this point in time in order to maintain America's role as the global hegemon. For example, people were trying to, I'm sorry if I'm going no, off No, please, here, I love this. People like, uh, I remember Noam Chomsky and, and others. I was I just going to say, hegemony was like the buzzword around <laughs> yeah. that time too. Like, yeah, you yeah. know, and, and and understanding all of this stuff was was part of being like, I don't know, hip to what was going on, was understanding that yeah. the United States played this role. But yeah, oil, oil t- t- tended to come in and flatten it, I feel like. It flattened. And, yeah. and, and let me just give the, the one example I was going to give because yeah. I think it's an important one is that you had Noam Chomsky was writing articles about, and others, others were writing articles about like an oil pipeline that was going to be running from uh, Kazakhstan or Uzbekistan, I think it was, running into the Middle East. And people were trying to make a a one-to-one correlation between the creation of this pipeline, the necessity for this pipeline to get those petroleum reserves out, and America's decision to invade Afghanistan. Uh, Afghanistan, of course, not being a country that has any oil. There's no blood to spend on the oil. I think I remember this now. People had to try to... Yeah. Yeah. People had to try to insert oil into the story where maybe it was a small part of it, but it was more about, again, America flexing its muscle and showing that uh, its military might um, is, 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 would be willing to be used, if, yeah. you, if you know what yeah. I mean. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, in some, to, to some extent, wasn't the Iraq war successful for the United States? I mean, the United States eliminated a, a dictator and, and sort of eliminated an enemy of Israel and did flex its muscles. 
made billions and billions of dollars for a number of of of, of U.S. elites and other rich people trillions, around the world. Trillions, trillions, right? Trillions. The war on terror has made trillions. Which you know, let's let's talk about it. Let's talk about petrodollar recycling. Right. Go ahead, give us the give us the, the, the <laughs> dude. The I was hoping I was hoping hoping you were going to explain what the fuck petrodollar <laughs> recycling is because honestly, like you know, part of what Syriana to get to, to back to Syriana, part of what this movie was was part of for me at least was there's that moment where um oh, it's like tim blake nelson's character is yelling about like uh, milton friedman and he's talking yeah. about capitalism and like he has like this really cynical attitude about like don't you understand that like all of this is just power and money and like yeah. to me that was though because the word capitalism only comes up like two like two or three times in this movie um and and those were the keys to me in other words replacing the word oil with capitalism like no blood for capital uh, i I guess would be would be what what movies like syriana were asking me to do i don't know if that's if that were the was the filmmaker's intentions right uh, but it definitely made me think of like um systemic things you know it definitely made me think about how all of this is connected. And I, I still don't know what the fuck petrodollars are, dude. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Uh, I, I, uh, petrodollar is basically the way to understand uh, American power in the world. It's not just merely that we were like the only industrial power really left standing and unbombed after the Second World War. It's also that uh, in Bretton Woods, uh, the United States had the ability to force First of all, Britain, who had been the imperial hegemon before us, but then, of course, all of Western Europe and much of Asia to operate under a currency system, under operate under what's called a rules-based international order, uh, which is code word for empire, uh, that we ourselves designed. And the cracks in this start to appear right off the bat. 1944 was the Bretton Woods Conference. Things are already dicey by the the late 40s and into the 50s. As America basically rebuilds um, large parts of the globe using grant money and, and loans in order to basically stop the spread of communism, you know? So now we're in the global Cold War. By the time uh, the, 1960, the 1970s come, what happened was the, the oil producing powers had ended up becoming a cartel. Uh, they had become a thing called OPEC, the Organization of Petroleum Exporting. I've heard of them. Yeah, uh, countries. And... Um, it was the this this oil that they had on their soil was such an incredible material prize that it ended up creating imbalances between the amount of dollars that were going out and dollars that were going in, and especially the ones going to places like Saudi Arabia or Iran uh, or other large oil producing places. There wasn't a reasonable place in order for those dollars to be spent. So these petrodollars are floating around without like a, a place to invest because Saudi Arabia. Right. It's a it's a desert. You can only invest that in so much infrastructure. And they did. And then they're like, we still have all of this. And it was creating these imbalances, part of which is what ends up knocking the United States off of the um, uh, uh, gold reserve system. Right. Right. Uh, Nixon in 1973. So uh, an ingenious way is figured out in order to uh, to recycle, as they say, to bring back to the United States all these errant dollars that are floating around and causing basically the the, the dollar to drop, uh, which is recycling them through some aid, 
um, but mostly through military transfers. So when people are like, well, why does Israel need $2 billion in, in military uh, spending, you know, or like grants to the United States, that's all military spending. Saudi Arabia, tens of billions of dollars in, mon- in military spending. And what that does is allow those dollars to come back to U.S. defense contractors and fix that imbalance. And so, that, so the, the petrodollars scheme then is that you actually have to have um, a highly armed and violent Middle East. Mm. The places where the oil are, mm-hmm. they have to have some American product. And that, that, mil- that American product is uh, military hardware and military trainers and stuff like that. So that's kind of like the, the, that's at the center, really, of, uh, of, of this um, sort of world system, you know? Yeah, I mean, th- that's the sort of thing that, that I feel like some of the better documentaries of that era were, were, were getting at. And, and part of it, it's interesting how much has changed because Siriana, there's a moment where I think it's Clooney's character it's an, uh, who says, the world is running out of, of oil. He, he, right. like, he, he kind of like repeats yeah. the peak oil thesis. <clears throat> and he's like, the yeah. world is running out and that's going to be like the, the, the rest of our lives is sort of like dealing with the collapse of civilization from, from that. But then like, and, and he even says that like, oh, 90% of what's left is in the Middle East. And that's why like this is of duel to the death. And Matt Damon's character says duel to the death, which was a nice call to his current movie, The Last Duel. Um, mm-hmm. From the past, he made that call. <laughs> um, but he, he, they say it's a duel to the death. It's in the Middle East because all the oil that's left in the world is there. And I accepted that when I was younger. I was like, oh, well, that's definitely the story. Like anyone who doesn't get that, it then doesn't get that piece of it, obviously can't understand. Like the world is, is, is not comprehensible without knowing that. You know, and then at some point, you know, during the Obama administration, Obama's like bragging about like what fracking. The United States is becoming this huge oil producer, and by the end of like Obama's term, he's bragging like I made us like like one of the number one oil producers in the world, and like that turnaround is fucking insane to me because it totally changes what I was kind of came up in the early early conception of being like a leftist or an anti capitalist or whatever was on a a lot of thought about oil that changed dramatically in our last few years. It's incredible if you see the graphs, if you see. So the, the first person to come up with peak oil was a guy named Hubbard in the 1950s. And he, was, he had some graphs, he had some statistics, and he thought that the oil was going to run out uh, in the United States in the 1960s and then in the world in like the 1970s or 80s. He had to keep looking at the data again as peak oil didn't come and didn't come and didn't come. <clears throat> what we knew in the 1990s, because I remember these conversations too, and the 2000s as um, peak oil turned out to be peak easy oil like all of the easy reserves right but because there was never a Mm -hmm. move away from fossil fuels and because you're talking about an industry worth two trillion dollars okay two trillion dollars is what the oil industry imagine the resources at their disposal um what you could of course do is design new methods in order to do that that weren't nearly as obscenely profitable but still relatively profitable given you know a a price of a barrel of oil sufficient in order to get that stuff out and so technological innovation has meant that uh is there even peak oil anymore i mean it takes five times the resources to get a barrel of oil out of the tar sands in alberta for example but you can still do it as long as there's one last fucking drop of petroleum in the ground that's accessible (laughs) and refinable to turn into to be turned into oil we will use it no matter what the fucking consequences are we will use it and so the peak oil thing is is interesting because it's almost like a um 
Like people were talking about this uh, back in the era when. So in the 17th and 18th century, if you look at a place like uh, Great Britain, like England, where the Industrial Revolution obviously starts, where industrial capitalism, capitalism in general begins, right? The um, sources of water power they had were insufficient and people had cut down basically all the forests. So nobody had any idea where the energy was going to come from in order to continue to produce. And lo and behold, somebody figured out the coal driven steam engine. And then as you know, coal for another uh, century and a half, you know, coal is the center. Thanks a lot, motherfucker. Like that (laughs) that doomed us to centuries of this shit. It makes me, I mean, it makes me wonder about, and, and this is, I think in part what, what like drove a lot of people into like I don't know conspiracism and 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 that kind of I don't know Joe Rogan world was just sort of like thinking about like these issues on like the large scale you know Ooh. and being like we're just apes man and we're just apes who figured out how to fucking take oil out of the ground and that's what, and like <laughs> part like that's cause I understand what's compelling about that to people honestly oh yeah you know what I mean because like part of me is like well shit are we like just are we? Is it really that thing they say in the movie, which is like, you know, my grandfather rode a camel and I drive a Mercedes and my grandkids will ride camels. And you're sort of like, mm. well, shit, like, are we really like going to like be like this oil era generation, you know, that's just like Oof. we we lived. Cause, I mean, I think about that, too, actually. I've, I've thought about that a lot. It's insane because, I mean, the left has this what, what I've seen happen in especially like the young left in my life. And you've seen it too, obviously, which is like an explosion of like left inter- interest in like left politics from young yeah. people, um, but also like a, an eclipsing of like the anti-consumerist left and a kind of the, whatever was like Burning Man sort of coming to terms with w- w- what we've done <laughs> with with oil and industrial society and all that sort of thing. Like that's kind of been eclipsed by, you know, a different kind of left um, yeah. and, and in our lifetime and that, that doesn't really... I don't know. Doesn't really uh, think about those things in the same way, and that that yeah. and I, not that not that in, the people in the '90s were were solving anything with their Burning Man festivals. No, but no. But I, I think about no. it a lot. Yeah, it dies. It. I mean, Occupy is this real turning point too, obviously. And Occupy Wall Street ends up um, diverging, of course, afterwards into uh, left and right wings. Like not not necessarily Joe Rogan, but somebody like Tim Pool was an Occupy Wall Street person. Kristen uh, Kirsten Cinema. That's right. Yeah. was an Occupy Wall Street person. Yeah. Michael Tracy was a Wall uh, Occupy Wall Street person. Glenn Greenwald was talking about how great it is. So like Occupy kind of ends, I think, a certain phase that maybe picks up from 1999 and then that dips off after 9-11 and it picks up again but seems very kind of antiquated uh, today yeah totally uh, uh, in this particular era I mean the the crisis you know you talk about like living in the oil generations you're only talking about well like six generations right between five maybe five or six generations between when um, oil becomes like the main driver of the economy Mm -hmm. and all this wonderful energy which is so cheap and available to everybody becomes this sort of essential part of of capitalist civilization I mean I again what's fucked up about living in the today and the here and now is that uh, Jimmy Carter put solar panels on the roof of the White House in the late 1970s. Ronald Reagan tore them off the first thing that he did when he got into office. <laughs> Fuck it's your not, solar panels, Jimmy Carter. Yeah. yeah. It's not It's not for like, and that's, and that's the other thing too. Maybe the movie kind of made you think about this a little bit, right? But like, it's not 
And on the one hand, it's automatic, right? That there's mm-hmm. so much um, fixed, uh, so much capital, so many goods have been infused with this this need in order to use petroleum in order to survive. That like it's it's very very difficult to get out of that too. But also at the same time, the actual like um, the power of these oil companies having two trillion dollars and and what that means means that you're not dealing with an abstract fight again like of the environment versus oil. What you're faced with ultimately is a fight between humanity surviving on the one hand and the capitalist class on the other. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully maybe that's something that people see more now because, um, like I said, good Lord, these people are going to burn every last fucking drop no matter, no matter what it means for everybody, for anybody. So it's not like in the movie where like it's the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act that's in question. <laughs> right, How are we right. going to legally confront the corruption of these oil companies? It's not about like running out of oil, all the oil is going to be over there. It's like literally, how can we defeat the most dangerous fraction of the capitalist class to ever exist in human history? Yeah. Yeah, no, well said. I mean, it, it, it's funny because I, I think that the no blood for oil and, and the sort of oil politics that I was drawn to at, in that era, in part, it was like, it, it was a dead end. And yet it was like peak oil was a way of imagining something transformative, if that makes sense. Mm. It was a, it was like, well, I don't have to do anything because the oil's going to run out. Uh, yeah. And I think I underestimated the ability <laughs> of these incredibly powerful institutions to keep the keep the oil flowing. And like to me, it's like it's weird because there's like, I don't know, this this sense of. Uh, okay, what do I do about hating the fact that we're strapped to oil this way? It's not like I can just boycott oil, <laughs> you know? Like, like the- it can make individual lifestyle decisions for yeah, sure, but yeah. what's that gonna and make you feel good about yourself? Maybe. Yeah, I don't drink oil anymore. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what, like that other movie, Three Kings. We can yeah, watch that too. Yeah. Did you ever was, see that movie? Uh, with, uh, totally. I mean, a yeah. hundred times. I was thinking about Three Kings um, definitely during this because it felt like that was another one that um, was that David O. Russell, right? I think so. Ice Cube was in it. And Clooney. I've, Clooney. Clooney was also in it. Clooney, the good like uh, the, the the good liberal out there in Hollywood and uh, Hollywood representing anti oil politics. Well, also I was thinking that he plays the same CIA character in Burn After Reading. I don't know if you've seen. Oh that movie, yes, but I have. Like, yeah, but like he's also sort of like a bumbling CIA dude in that movie. Yeah, uh, Three Kings is uh, is is probably one of the best I, I think war movies about about Whoa. the war in the Middle East. What are you looking at? <laughs> I just looked it up. It came out in 1999. Yeah. It's I like, assumed that that was after 9-11. No, it's about, the, it's about the first Iraq war. Right. Yeah. Holy shit. Oh, Mark Wahlberg's in it too. That's hilarious. <laughs> Spike Jones. Uh, yeah, that's a good movie, dude. Yeah, and that's well, and, maybe maybe we'll have to do another episode on three three kings. Continue this conversation. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, it's good talking oil with you, man. Yeah, we're going to make it a thing. We're going to do like oil cast or something like that. A special presentation you, of Nostalgia <laughs> Trap and Antifada. You know, we should have, we, we, we missed the boat on it because oil was the hot topic um, 15 years ago. I don't think anyone gives a fuck about oil anymore. We're bringing it back, bro. We're bringing <laughs> it back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, America doesn't have to worry about oil like it used to, but oil politics... I mean, the world of Syriana is still very much real. Like the Syriana story very much matches the story of a guy named uh, James Giffen. Did you discover this guy? No, no. 
Okay, so let me find this article right here. This guy, James Giffen, was actually indicted by the United States in 2003 for foreign corrupt practices. Um, and he was actually released in 2010 with just like tax evasion because he had been similar to the Matt Damon character. He was uh, part of this oil bribery scheme because he became an advisor to the Kazakhstan president, the same guy that was almost overthrown like a week ago. No shit. This guy, James Giffen, was um, basically caught. Uh, taking a bunch of uh, money, bribe money, and paying off like his stu- his his child's like Swiss uh, boarding school money, and mm-hmm. um, paying off various like officials and and whatever. Um, and so the the crazy end point of this story is that a it's it's Nazarbayev, right? The guy who's like still in power now, barely who almost gets overthrown. He was at the center of this back then, but also too that he alleged. And the reason why he got off is that he said he was working for the CIA the entire time. And because the CIA never coughed up the paperwork for it, the judge had to be like, well, we don't know. He could have been in the, in the CIA. Let's just drop the charges. So crazy shit, man. Yeah, I didn't know that would work. It That's just works. Apparently, if you say the CIN, CIA sent me and they deny it, you just get to go free. <laughs> man, I'm, I'm going to use that if I ever um, committed any major crimes and get caught. Yeah, me them. too. If I ever, uh, Open container, speeding. Uh, how about you know? uh, burning property for environmental activism? Ah, there you go. Like, uh, what's that Andreas Malm? I have um, this book, which people can't see, Fossil Capital. Fucking A, that looks right heavy. Now. So let me, wait, hold yeah. that up. That's uh, yeah. That book is, is a Verso book, right? Fossil Capital, yeah. the rise of steam power and the roots of global warming. Holy yeah. shit, man. It's like a Marxist analysis of like the history of... Uh, yeah, of, of fossil fuels and energy use um, that basically uh, talks about how this whole situation that we're in came about, understanding um, fossil fuel oh. capitalism as a particular stage of human development. But Andreas Malm also wrote, um, what's it called? How to Bomb a Pipe, an Oil Pipe. That's one? right. Yep. Yeah. So that so maybe that like animal liberation front earth liberation front thing is going to come back now. Maybe everything old is new again. Uh yeah, they're going to have to stay off the internet if they're going to want to do shit like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh no no blood for steam, I guess, is the no blood. <laughs> <laughs> He talks about in this book and I I'm, I haven't completed it yet about how implicated uh coal was in um, the suppression and the discipline of the working class because it's actually uh, water power was far more efficient to use at that time but you couldn't move production to where workers were cheaper uh, it's so, so fucking pro- scary that divide, like things yeah. like that like that is how capital ca- capitalism and the logic of it like to, like sent humanity down paths that like we're cursed to live on those paths now that stuff is yeah. like endlessly horrifying to me i mean th- there will be blood it, you know the the, yeah. op- the opening of that movie really captures like how like i don't know just the digging through the grime of like finding this shit and then like immediately workers are being killed in that movie yes. um and and the grime is part of it uh that that's that's intense shit man and we two a two trillion dollar industry and you know how many people work in it a half million those aren't even production workers that's just in general Jesus. so imagine the incredible amount of um profits that are being made when you're just literally you know, like like a milkshake sucking that out of the ground um that's cool man keep the wi-fi flow and i'm okay with it <laughs> that, that's a good place to end uh is just le- letting everyone know that we're okay with uh gross disgusting capitalism as long as uh, the lights are on and all that kind of shit. 
that's that to me is what I think this conversation in part was uh, was about, and what I wanted to talk to you about is sort of like that contradiction because no blood for oil seemed to come out of that, but it's sort of like it's sort of a dead end conversation that we're we're stuck yeah. in. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think you're right about the sense that people had that there was an out, that there was like an automatic process or right. like a purely resource based process that was going to save up, save us from ourselves essentially right uh and right. as it turns out capital will continue to transmogrify will continue to like um innovate its way into continuing to use whatever is the most profitable unless there's some sort of political fix to that and the united states unfortunately i mean some european countries even china is doing a better job i think of trying oh, totally to, yeah um, their their eyes are wide open off. on this shit yeah Definitely. Well, sure. that's fodder for future conversations. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sean. I really appreciate it. Yeah, David, this was awesome. I'm glad to have finally podcasted with you. Well, all right. I think that's going to do it for today. I want to thank my guest, Sean from Antifada. Go check out that podcast if you haven't already. Go check out our Patreon. Go outside and look at the sun. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks so much, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye bye.